0: Hello and welcome to the Artsy Podcast. I'm your host, Isaac Kaplan, joined this week by senior editor Tess Thackera. Hey, Isaac. And staff writer Alexa
1: Gotthard. Hi, Isaac.
0: So today we're here to answer the question of who built the New York art world. The scene today is by and large dominated by men, but some of the most prestigious museums, galleries, uh, salons, and more that really fostered New York's cultural scene in the 1920s and 30s were founded and run by women. Alexa, you explore this all too little-known history in your recent piece. So, Alexa, what got you thinking about this topic?
1: Well, it all started about a year ago when Tess and I went to a panel together. The panel was a conversation between four female museum leaders, um, directors in particular in New York, and they discussed the dearth of female leaders in the arts. In particular, the dearth of female directors in museums, and it was a riveting conversation. And at the end of it, there was of course Q and A, in which an artist named Andrea Geier got up and said, "Hey, this is a really important subject, but we're not talking about the female museum leaders who came before you. Why?" She called it a collective amnesia that we have as a society when it comes to forgetting the accomplishments of women throughout history.
0: Can you give me an example of one of the major New York institutions that was founded by a woman?
1: The MoMA is maybe the most prominent example. It was founded by three women who were all art collectors, very pioneering art collectors in the early 1900s.
0: And they were also responding to the Met, right?
1: They were. So the Met in 1929 announced their European-focused program. And at the time, they had already refused to accept donations of American art, not only contemporary American art contemporary at that time, but also historical American art from some of New York's most prominent art collectors, who most of which happened to be women, And one of those included Abby Aldrich Rockefeller, who was with a name like Rockefeller, maybe obviously one of the wealthiest women in in New York at the time, then met up with two of her friends, also prominent art collectors, Mary Quinn
2: Sullivan and Lily P. Bliss, and together they founded the museum. And MoMA has actually never had a female director, right? That's kind of the really remarkable thing Mm. um, to me is that it was founded by three women, which is rarely talked about, I think, is known in the art world, but little known in the mainstream. Um, And nonetheless, the institution has never actually been led by a woman, which is also true, I think, of some of the other museums you mentioned. I mean, the Whitney, also founded by a woman. Um, And she actually did, I think, install a woman called Juliana Force as the very first director who was her assistant. But thereafter, the Whitney didn't have a female director. And, but that, to me, is the really remarkable thing here is that women were so instrumental in founding these institutions, but yet it has remained so difficult for women to rise to the top and actually lead these institutions.
0: How did the taste of these collectors uh, manifest in the institutions that they founded?
1: Well, all of them from Rockefeller to Bliss to Rebe, to even Helen Clay Frick, they, they all had very radical tastes for their time. They all collected art that their contemporaries and especially their husbands weren't interested in collecting or even balked at as scandalous. So in founding these institutions, they really set the tone for New York as a center for radical art, for the acceptance and celebration of of radical art.
0: And what kind of artists are we talking about?
1: So they they don't sound radical anymore. (laughs) (laughs) They sound like the great modernists that we all know. Artists like Picasso, Van Gogh, Duchamp, real canonic names now.
0: But Alexa, am I right in sort of thinking that the husbands of some of these women were not nearly as accepting of these artists as the wives were, as these women were?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Abby Rockefeller, for instance, her husband was not a fan of her collecting habits. And in their either nine or 10-story mansion, he basically forced her to keep her art collection in the highest floors of their mansion, so only she saw it, only she accessed it, um, which is which is kind of hilarious and also wildly frustrating to think about now. <laughs> I also love the story about how Gertrude Vanderbilt Whitney commissioned a self portrait from from a very progressive painter at the time, Robert Henri. And in the portrait, she's lounging quite sensuously on a couch, gazing straight out at the audience and wearing pants. And she showed it to her husband so excited. And her husband was like, no, that painting isn't entering our house. I forget what the exact quote was, but he refused to hang this painting in his in his house because his wife was was shown wearing pants in it so she was also a painter and she brought it to her downtown studio which was actually the first site of the whitney museum called the whitney studios and there she paraded it for all her artist friends
0: and now that portrait hangs in the whitney all the time so her husband must be pretty pissed about that from beyond the grave rolling in his
2: grave <laughs> yeah You talk in your piece, Alexa, not just about museum um, founders, but also the women that created galleries and um, fostered salons and really sort of developed the whole scene in the New York art world, including people like Peggy Guggenheim, Betty Parsons, both of whom, I mean, Betty Parsons is sort of credited with really giving abstract expressionism a platform in New York, regularly showing people like Jackson Pollock And you could see abstract expressionism as the first real American art movement, um, you know, to have influence both within the States and all over the world.
1: The other thing that a lot of these women did, Abby Aldrich Rockefeller, Betty Parsons, and Peggy Guggenheim in particular, is bring international art into New York, and very controversial international artists at that. So Abby Aldrich Rockefeller was actually the one who recommended that her husband commissioned Diego Rivera, obviously an overtly political artist, to create the infamous mural in Rockefeller Center, which (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if we know that story, but. It
0: like showed the evils of capitalism and Rockefeller, of course, hated it, and they destroyed it. But, th- but that's that's awesome that she yeah. told him to commission him.
1: Yeah, she was, she was a huge proponent of art that communicated the culture of her time and the issues of her time. And Peggy Guggenheim was similar. She brought a lot of women and international female artists in particular into her gallery, Art of the Century. And Betty Parsons, too, brought a lot of art, a lot of artists from different minorities, which was incredibly rare at the time, black American artists, Asian American artists, into her gallery's fold.
0: You know, one question I had while reading the piece was if a lot of these very powerful and prominent institutions were founded by women, why they even even today uh, continue to be charged with showing predominantly men mm-hmm. uh, from a certain time period, certain canon?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think it's important to remember that most of these women were in quite an exceptional position in terms of the wealth and influence they had they had access to via their husbands you know and i think it's all good and well to found a museum and that's awesome but if you really want to counter the forces of gender bias in the world you really need to implement major structural changes and i don't think um sort of from the research that alexa and i have done so far I don't think many of those structural changes were implemented at that point. You mean um,
0: just in terms of like who staffed the museum?
2: Yeah, setting up some parameters in terms mm-hmm. of who should be hired by these museums, um, You know, who should be placed in positions of influence within them. Beyond those first few uh, female directors mm-hmm. that were put in, in positions of influence, there was nothing to safeguard against gender bias.
0: Yeah, Tess, I think it's interesting that you sort of hit on the, the wealth of these women um, which is kind of a commonality across all of them. They're also, for the most part, white. I'm wondering, Alexa, if in your research in the 1920s and 1930s, you found examples of African-American women who also played a crucial role in shaping the New York art scene.
1: Yes, um, I did. Grace Nail Johnson was a really important patron of the arts in New York during that era. She lived in Harlem, and she supported a lot of the African-American artists and not only fine artists but also writers, artists working in all mediums who were her neighbors, friends, colleagues in Harlem whose work was not being supported by the institutions founded by the white women in the city by and large. It's important to note that she was also very wealthy like the other women on this list. But her modus operandi was
2: very different. It was to support black artists in particular. And she's very little known. I mean, I know next to nothing about Mm -hmm. her. And I think you had quite a lot of trouble finding information about her too. And I think, you know, that's not an unimportant point in thinking about why deep structural change has not followed on the heels of these women's achievements Mm -hmm. Um, because we don't know this history very much. Mm -hmm. And I think... In burying these histories, we lose the chance to inspire future generations of female leaders. um, And it suddenly starts to feel natural that men are always in positions of power. And that's sort of just the status quo. So I think that those two points are not inseparable.
1: Completely. And getting back to the artist we mentioned at the beginning who really inspired this project for us, Andrea Geyer, she has meticulously, as part of her art practice over the last several years, I, I believe since 2012, attempted to catalog all of the women who have largely, in the art world, who have largely been forgotten by art history. And if you're interested in accessing her glossary of all these incredible women, incredible, powerful Pioneering Women, it's online on
2: her website. So the project is called Revolt, they said. I think it's also important to remember that this list is by no means exhaustive. There are so many more women um, who had a important influence over the New York art world. Edith Halpert is one that someone flagged to me recently, um, a very important downtown art dealer. Um, There are more who also didn't come from wealthy, affluent backgrounds. I think, you know, those those are kind of few and far between, but there are some. And Juliana Force, um, who headed up the Whitney, certainly, as far as I know, did not come from um, affluent means. Um, So, you know, I think there's a lot of research and and digging still to be done in this field.
0: I mentioned at the beginning of the podcast that the New York art scene today is dominated by men, which I think is still broadly true. But if you look around at some of the major institutions in New York City, uh, quite a few are helmed now by women. Tess, could you maybe just give us a rundown, a sense for for the way the scene looks today?
2: Yeah, so we have Lisa Phillips at the New Museum, Um, and we should also note that the New Museum was founded by a woman, Marsha Tucker, in the 1970s. I don't think we've mentioned that yet. Uh, Anne Pasternak at Brooklyn Museum, Thelma Golden at the Studio Museum in Harlem, Laura Rykovich, I never know quite how to pronounce her name, uh, at the Queens Museum, Holly Block at the Bronx Museum, Claudia Gould at the Jewish Museum. I think that's all of the, the more major ones.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's an incredibly impressive and exciting list. Some of those are amazing institutions, but obviously absent are the Met, the Guggenheim, the MoMA, some of these museums that take prominence on an international stage. Do you see that situation changing? What, what would need to happen for that?
2: I mean, I think these museums need to implement real structural change and sort of, you know, the boards of these museums maybe need to just actively make the decision that the next di- director will be a woman. <laughs> I think it needs to be a really active effort because otherwise these things just don't, change doesn't happen.
0: Yeah, and it's an interesting question because it kind of reminds me of the New York Times article that was recently published that interviewed women who almost became CEOs of major companies and they said it's not really a, a pipeline question. There's there's actually like structural problems. It's not about needing just more qualified women. It's about rectifying things from from like the ground up in a more substantive way. But one one interesting thing is that the Met is currently looking for a director, and I know there have been some very prominent calls for them to appoint a woman um a person of color uh s- someone other than the white man who has traditionally helmed the institution i don't know i'm not incredibly optimistic that <laughs> that'd i'll hold so. my breath yeah. but i mean
2: i think it does need to be a woman i think they should just make that decision it's not like there's a lack of qualified women out there but you know i think it's interesting too that someone like Lisa Phillips. I mean, there was this article in the New York Times recently about how she's, I can't remember the title exactly, but she's the most powerful woman in the New York art world, but is yet quite invisible. I mean, I think that's kind of a choice on Lisa's part, which, you know, I I do think it's interesting and and not surprising that a woman, (laughs) this is a huge generalization, but that a female director might not caught attention as much as some of the male (laughs) directors. I
0: mean, you don't even have to look at other directors at other institutions. I mean, just think about Massimiliano Gioni, who's there. I think it's artistic director of the new museum. He's great. I think he's incredible and incredibly talented. But if you're thinking about the public face of the new museum, who pops up the most, it's it's definitely more Massimiliano. Yeah,
2: which, you know, is probably great for Lisa if she doesn't want that attention, to have someone sort of um, being more the um, public face. Right.
0: I mean, but it, it, it does... It's, it's worth also noting that we've been talking about directors which are obviously not a, a panacea like you have to look at the curatorial staff if your director is a woman uh, and the curatorial staff is mostly white men I mean that's still obviously a huge huge problem in terms of sh- what gets shown and ultimately I think that's what a lot of this question is about you know who, who are these museums choosing to exhibit how are they representing art history is that equitable All right, Tess, what exhibition are you going to be checking
2: out this week in the art world? I'm going to check out an exhibition that just opened at the Brooklyn Museum called The Legacy of Lynching, Confronting Racial Terror in America, um, which I understand is featuring new research into racial terror, um, as well as an exhibition that's been on there for a while, Black Radical Women, which I still haven't seen. So I'm going to be checking out those two. Alexa, what about you?
1: I'm going to traverse the city and try to hit all 15 venues that are hosting the I Love John Giorno show. And John Giorno, if you don't know, is a really incredible spoken word poet who came of age in the 60s and has been very influential since. He's turning 80 years old this year and his partner of 20 years, the sculptor Ugo Ranzanone, organized this show and it basically surfaces his wide ranging influence across New York where he's from.
0: I'm tired already. Just thinking about going. 15. <laughs> are they close together? Or are they?
1: Um, no, they're okay. spread out.
0: I'm going to be doing something much more relaxing. Going to see the Calder exhibition at the Whitney. After all our Whitney talk, the big deal about this exhibition, if you don't know, is that the mobiles, his famous mobiles, actually move. Like they they move. And wow. Mind blown. Um, I, no, I, I actually think it's going to be really cool. It's 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 always interesting. Um, when you actually get to see kinetic art, because my understanding is that it's it's actually quite bad for the art to, to actually perform the function the artist originally thought it was supposed to do, because it just wears it down really quickly uh, over time. All right, that's all we have time for this week. Thanks so much for joining us. Don't forget to rate and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. See you next time. Our producer this week, as always, editorial associate Abigail Kane. The theme music is by Broke for Free.